song in general. And um, it's been one of my favorite Christmas songs from way back, from whenever I can remember. Am I coming through those speakers, Brian? Am I coming through the speakers? Okay, thanks. I don't like that. It's just hearing my voice in the back of my head. I, I, from when I was little, I love it. It's the only Christmas carol I don't sing because I don't, I have a horrible voice and I ruin songs. So that's one song I won't sing. I'll just quiet every time it's playing. I'll sing all the other Christmas carols, but I won't sing this one. It hints of that magical and mysterious peace which passes understanding, doesn't it? And I, I get filled, I don't know about you, but this song fills me with a longing and a hope of a day that I think that's why I like that song so much. But as beautiful and moving as the song is, it probably doesn't come close to the actual birth of Christ, does it? I mean, let's be honest. We have sterilized this story, but there's not much silent about childbirth, is there? At least the couple childbirths I've been in, they they weren't silent. And this was 2,000 years ago. So instead of being all calm and clear and bright and rooms filled with nurses and doctors and midwives and family, this was probably a bit chaotic and messy and dark. First of all, from the story, we can gather that it doesn't seem like there were any midwives there. Joseph, who was not even the father of the child, was the only one helping Mary, it seems. There was her mother was far away and wasn't able to comfort her. There was probably blood all over the ground and curious animals getting in the way. They weren't even a decent house, and so I'm pretty sure this song, Silent Night, does not capture what happened that night. Now, in fairness to the guy who wrote the lyrics to this song, he was an Austrian Catholic priest from the 1800s, so he probably never saw a live childbirth, so didn't know how messy they were and challenging they were. But I don't really want to throw him under the bus because he actually has a fascinating story. His, his father left his mother before he was born. And so I bet that's an influence on his life and that this song probably came out of that influence in writing about faith in a father God who brings into chaos. So I think it's sort of beautiful. And the, the actual story of, of that night he was sort of given these lyrics. It's pretty beautiful. It might be inspired. But here's the problem. It's beautiful. It's just not the actual childbirth that we're celebrating. And even long before the birth, this isn't an easy story, is it? Right? Let's see. All pregnancy is life-changing, isn't it? It alters everything. Bodies change when they get pregnant. Some bodies get very sick when they become pregnant. Relationships change, wardrobes change when you get pregnant, houses change in getting prepared to accommodate this coming child, routines get turned upside down through pregnancy, emotions go hurricane-like, and I say that gently, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way, emotions just sort of go places, and life gets thrown into total flux, and there is a distinct new focus and priority when someone gets pregnant, and that's when the details are relatively normal. There's no normal details in the story. We have archangels that show up and scare the heck out of people. And we have virgin birth. And we have the rumors and the displeasures in, of the community. So much so that we forget Mary had to run away from home 
She didn't just go visit Elizabeth because she wanted to. She had to go there to get away from home because you could be killed in those days for getting pregnant outside of marriage in the community she was in. And then because all of a sudden Caesar decided he needed a consensus, they were forced to travel far away in the nine month of pregnancy, the ninth month of pregnancy. Listen, you can get on British Airways in first class, which is the greatest way ever to fly, but if you're nine months pregnant, it's not gonna be fun, and she's on a donkey. This is not an easy story. So how many of us would have signed up for this? Honestly, who would have signed up to be in this story? But by claiming faith in Christ, isn't this what we are signing up for? I know maybe there's a thread of modern Christianity that maybe we bought into that we're signing up for a silent night, but maybe that's not what we're signing up for. Maybe we're really signing up to be pregnant with Christ and to birth Christ into this world. I like the way Patricia Gillespie says it. In this pregnancy, we are not the much-loved and protected baby being given life. We are the workers, the laborers who give birth. In the coming of God's kingdom, we are not so much to be rescued and loved as to be rescuers and lovers. Last week, we talked of preparing for the arrival of God. This week, I want to continue the theme of Advent by asking, are we ready? Are we willing? See, this is the strange tension of Advent, isn't it? Remember, Advent means the arrival. So, the arrival has come. The arrival will come. That was the text Kevin read for us this morning. And the arrival is always coming. So we have the important but relatively safe celebration of Christ coming into the world in past history. And we have the just as important but also relatively safe expectation of Christ coming in the future. And these past and future glances exist in tension with the coming of God and the building of his kingdom now, right now. And perhaps this is the most important element of Advent because it demands that we consider the now. It demands that we realize that the story of the birth of Christ in the past and the story of the coming of Christ in the future are ultimately stories that should inform our reality right now. Right now. Because without this tension, it's too easy to wax romantic while we sing our carols of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And we read our scriptures telling us that every valley has been filled Christ's birth has leveled every mountain, straightened every path, smoothed every road, and brought salvation to all. Without this tension, and engaging in this tension, it's too easy to sit in the glow of our Christmas tree, sipping mulled cider and thanking God that the world's mess has been taken care of. Without this tension, it's too easy to silently and effortlessly wait for the Lord to come again and take away our pain and our tears and our sufferings to set things right, deal with the injustices of the world, and to, as St. John said, make all things new. But I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying about this. Please don't misunderstand this. There is an absolute beauty to the safe celebration of the historical birth of Christ. There is a wonder and joy to be found in the angel's proclamation that a Savior has been born for us. It's beautiful. 
Every year, I make my way to my daughter's Christmas Eve midnight service, as I'll do next Monday, and I will sit and weep like an infant as this darkened church grows light with candles. And this choir of heavenly voices sings of these mysteries of Advent. I, I, I love this. And it's a beautiful thing to do. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. There is also a wonder and a profound hope to be had knowing and trusting that Christ is coming again. And that eventually hate will lose and love will finally win. That is our singular hope. That's what we talk about all the time at Cana. There's nothing wrong with celebrating these things. So I'm not saying we should not participate in this kind of celebration and expectation, but as professed followers of Christ, what really matters is the now, this Advent, the coming of Christ today. So are we ready? Are we willing? For we know the world is not at peace. We know all things have not been made new. We know salvation has not been seen by all. Take note of what Christ himself said when we see the signs of his coming. Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. This is not wait quietly in silence. This is not glory in the past and glory in the future. This is get involved now. Compare this to what the archangel Gabriel told Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. This is not Mary wait quietly in silence for the salvation of Israel. This is get involved. This is Mary, get pregnant and give birth. This is have your life turned upside down. This is radical change. Patricia Gillespie again. <clears throat> when God decided to tell us what it's like to have God come into our life, we're not told a story of a conquering king. God tells the story of birth. Birth is what it's like for God's kingdom to come. Hard work and tears, fear and hope. The birth of a child changes everything. Radical change, surprise, earth-shaking, all-consuming, nothing is the same. So are we ready? Are we willing? The world needs Christ, plain and simple. We are pregnant with Christ. See, that's God's work. That is the free gift of God. We can do nothing to earn that gift. He loves us and therefore exercises all his grace toward us. And so like Mary of old, and I say this with all reverence, we too are overshadowed by this God of pure love and we become pregnant with Christ. That's the gift. But now, can we bring this Christ into the world that so desperately needs him? Can we allow the swollen hands and feet in the morning sickness, the midnight cravings? Can we? Can we allow 
ourselves to renovate our house and get a new wardrobe and make room for this child? Can we endure the sweat and tears and pain of delivery? Will we handle 2 a.m. feedings? Will we sacrifice our desires for the child's needs? Will we order our lives around him? See, here's the funny thing about getting pregnant. (laughs) All these things happen, and there's nothing you can do about it. And then when you're pregnant, you have to give birth, and there's nothing you can do about it. So the question is, are we ready and are we willing to give birth to this Christ in us? I know for myself, I've spent most of my life just trying to avoid what it means to be pregnant with Christ. It's easier that way, isn't it? I like my silent nights. but it doesn't bring the kingdom of God. And remember, this is not about earning his love. He loves us. That's why we're pregnant with him. This is about responding to his love. This is about birthing Christ because he loves us so much. And we want to respond in love that way. So here's the thing. There are people in our lives right now who need our time. There are people in our lives right now who need our resources. They need our help. They need our friendship. And I'm not talking about the easy ones. Everyone sitting here this morning, I love to spend time with. It's easy to spend time with all of you. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the spare change in our cup holders that we drop out of our window that's open two inches so we don't have to touch the homeless guy that's begging for it. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the few extra minutes we can spare. We're all busy. I always smile when I hear those words coming out of my own mouth. Oh, I'm just so busy. That's eh, just an excuse not to get involved. I am busy, don't get me wrong. I have three, well, two jobs now, one's done, but I have two jobs. I'm as busy as anyone, but I still know it's an excuse. But I always hear it. I hear it out of my own mouth. I hear it out of everybody's mouth. I can't do that right now. I can't, I can't help with that. Sorry, I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this. But all those interesting things that we got, we got, we got, we got, are they really ushering in God's kingdom, like honestly? Or are they just keeping the baby in the womb? It's funny how Christianity has taken on this strange religion of just letting us stay all about ourselves, isn't it? And yet we're pregnant with a Christ that it was all about us, everyone else, not about him. That beautiful song that I love so much, let all mortal flesh keep silent. When when that's playing, I hope you're listening to those lyrics. You have angels and, and vanguards of heaven that won't even look at this Christ because they know how perfectly holy he is. And yet he comes and gives us his body 
and blood to eat and drink. How did Christianity become about us? So this is the thing. When I'm asking if we're willing to give birth, I'm talking about serious and at times agonizingly painful work and sacrifice. That any woman here who's given birth knows what that's like. In our lives right now, there are people who need our forgiveness. If you've lived this long, <laughs> there is someone that has hurt you so bad you need to forgive them. There are people who need our mercy, our grace, our love, people who need our labor of love. And again, I'm not talking about the easy ones. I'm talking about forgiveness that hurts, mercy that comes through tears, grace that requires great sacrifice, love that changes everything. Are we ready? Are we willing? That's the question of Advent. Now remember, this is what God does in us. We need to be ready and willing, and then it will happen. We can't muster up Christ. We receive the Christ to do it in us. And number two, always remember this. If we're in a place in our life where we need not to labor, that's fine. We all know what that genuinely looks like when we need to just receive this love. But once we receive it, it's going to change us. We're going to want to give birth. Notice Mary's response to this question of being ready and willing. Be it done to me according to your word. With that one simple statement of surrender, she invited into her life no silent night, but certain chaos and pain. This is why Mary should be revered, right here. I know in Christianity there's all different ideas of who Mary was and what Mary is. This is why we should all revere her. And we can all say this. You see, what Mary did, think about all the things we already mentioned about how difficult this story was. Then after the birth, they had to flee in the middle of the night to live as refugees in a far land. Think on that as you decide your worldviews. I wonder how that border crossing was for Jesus and Mary and Joseph. Think on that as you establish worldviews that are all about you and your personal well-being and not about people that need love. Thank God they got across the border in Egypt and were able to survive. And then when she returned home, she endured the looks and words that mothers of bastard sons always received in those days. And then worst of all, she watched her son die. Yet despite the agonizingly painful journey, her surrender to it brought salvation to the world. As we observe Advent, as we celebrate Christmas, and I know this was, this was a little dark, right, for the Sunday before, the final Sunday. But this is what Advent is. Advent is a time of fear and trembling and hope all wrapped together. So here is my prayer, is that all of us will be able to say the same thing this year. Be it done to me according to your word. 
Because here's the great mystery of all these mysteries we contemplate at this time of the year. And please hear this because it brings together what I've just said. When we allow ourselves to birth the Christ, not only does it bring the possibility of peace on our little bit of earth, not only does it bring the possibility of goodwill to people in our little lives, but it really is for us the filling of our valleys, the leveling of our mountains, the straightening of our paths, and the smoothing of our roads. It is the salvation of our lives. Because as hard and painful and life-changing as giving birth to Christ is, it is exactly what we were made for, to live like this. The great paradox of good news to all people is that when we allow Christ to throw our worlds upside down into a life of loving others, it is then, and only then, our worlds are finally right side up. By God's grace, might we be ready and willing this Christmas season. Hey. 